My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So this episode's being recorded at a, uh, a hotel. We're in Mexico for a few days with uh, our dear friends, uh, Lindsay Schnebley and his lovely wife, Nan McNamara. And so it may sound a little bit different. Mm. Here we are sitting in uh, what would be a, uh, a small apartment. It's nice. We like it. It is very nice. And they did just bring me tacos. So That's good. I'm feeling better and better about this place. Last night, I uh, it does have a little kitchenette and we had gone to the market and picked up a few little things and last night I woke up in the middle of the night and I was hungry and uh, I had I had bought a box of uh, the uh, Mexican version of Kellogg's Cocoa Krispies because uh-huh. I'm a health nut mm-hmm. and I had a, a thing of milk and milk comes in weird containers here that I have a hard time recognizing weird containers. Um, <laughs> and I came out it's like three in the morning mm-hmm. and I didn't have my glasses on sure. and so I made my breakfast cereal but instead of milk uh it was heavy creamer oh so that sounds terrible getting all of my nutrients uh, <laughs> you know when i'm on vacation it's important to me to continue to maintain a healthy diet absolutely see i knew none of this because i was sleeping in the other room uh that we happened to have a three bedroom and that's very fortunate because i had a panic attack last night and you kick yeah i do so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i don't know which one was worse it's not related <laughs> she didn't panic because i kick no no but uh no i'm i'm glad that you enjoyed your thick thick cereal mm. I, uh, delicious. I don't even like talking about it. That sounds terrible. We're going to move on. I've got a topic. Here we go. I was thinking about this conversation that we had not too long ago about how Lysol, the disinfectant Lysol's original suggested purpose was for feminine hygiene. Yeah. They wanted you to spray it right up in there so that you didn't lose your husband. Yep. That's right. In fact, I came across, it's funny you mentioned that, an, an old ad promoting it as such. And uh, it uh, here's, here's the tagline. Instead of blaming him if your married love begins to cool, 
she should question herself. Yeah, of course she should. Normally, I wouldn't even bring that up. Uh, but I knew it really pissed you off, and that's funny to me. Yeah, I mean, why wait for your husband to gaslight you when you can just do it yourself? <laughs> anyway, it was the original intended purpose for it actually was to kill germs during the 1918 uh, influenza epidemic. Okay, thank you for that. And then it was promoted as a feminine hygiene product. <sighs> and then after that, it was successfully promoted as a contraceptive. No. Yep, it was used as a postcoital douche. Well, I suppose if your uh, vagina stops working because you've poisoned it, <laughs> that does yeah. count as contraceptive. Sure, I guess. This is the part that amazed me. You know, because when I think of those kind of things, I mm-hmm. picture it back in the twenties or the tens. Sure. No, they were they were douching with Lysol right up until the nineteen sixties. No. That shocked me. That is not groovy. Yeah. All the way through the 60s, women would douche with Lysol after sex. And as a contraceptive, it wasn't even that effective. Well, no. <laughs> Over half of those who employed it for this purpose became pregnant, yet they still used it. Ugh. It was just kind of baked into uh, society at that. Not, not really a spermicide, yeah. guys. Yeah, no. no. But, but that got me thinking about everyday household products and how they came to end up on our shelves and homes. What was the evolutionary process Oh, like um, Silly Putty and how it was used to clean soot off of wallpaper. I, I never heard that. Yeah, something yeah. like that. But, but yeah, that's exactly what, what I'm talking about. Okay. A man named George de Mastral was walking through a wooded area outside a small village in France where he live, lived. And when he returned, uh, he was annoyed to find that burdocks were stuck all over him. <laughs> they got in his clothing and hair. You know, those little annoying burrs that can almost be impossible to get out of your hair. So he was scientifically minded and he was curious as to why these little things were so difficult to remove. So he stuck one under a microscope and that's when he realized that the burdock had a series of tiny little hooks. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yes, yes. Velcro? Yes. Yes. He saw that and, he, and the idea struck him that he could maybe make a synthetic version of this, like a, hoop, a hook and loop synthetic version of this naturally occurring adhesive structure. And that's where we get Velcro. But by the way, Velcro isn't the generic name. That's the product name, but it's become, right. yeah. Like Kleenex. Yeah. So he, he invents this and then it just doesn't take off. Nobody gives a crap about it for two decades. It just languished. It wasn't until NASA started using it for space missions in the, the 1960s. I know that we use it for a lot of things. Oh, and yes. Yeah. I, I think that my life would be less good yeah. if it weren't for Velcro. Interesting. We use it as a contraceptive. <laughs> um, I, think, I think that, uh, first of all, I think it, it is important to note that uh, you can thank burdock plants for that trapper keeper that you had in junior high school. My Lisa Frank trapper mm-hmm, keeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It had a rainbow leopard on it. It was a good time. I think it's a commonly known fact that Vaseline or petroleum jelly is made from a byproduct of drilling for oil. Right. But it was actually the marketing method of the product that caught my attention. A chemist named Robert Chespro manufactured oils for illumination. And uh, this was about the time that oil was discovered in Pennsylvania. So he decided to go there and seek his fortune. And he noticed that the local oil rig workers, whenever they would hurt themselves, injure themselves or burn themselves, they would take this stuff, this byproduct, and they would put it on the wound and it would, it would heal more efficiently. Hmm. 
Uh, they called this product rod wax. That sounds dirty. Yeah. So he thought, hey, I can make money with rod wax. It's, you too can make money with rod wax. It's, uh, it's in its natural state. Did you know that it's like really gooey and black? No. Yeah. It was his refining process that was kind of revolutionary. He was able to develop a process that made it the clear ointment that we know today as petroleum jelly or Vaseline as the brand name. And that makes a lot more sense. You know, if you're using it as like a health product or a hygiene product, then then putting a black gooey stuff on you isn't really appealing. Do you know my grandmother used to eat it? No. Yeah. She believed that it helped Flush her bowels. Well, I'm sure she wasn't wrong. <laughs> That's but, but for all the wrong reasons. I have a friend who we were discussing Vicks VapoRub and and the fact Same that thing. yeah a spoonful of that and Ooh. she was like you're all better and i was like i don't think that's how you're supposed to use it so this guy who has refined the petroleum jelly to promote it this is what really caught my attention he he went all in on it uh he would do these local demonstrations of how great this product was he would go up on stage and he would cut his arm open oh and then apply the petroleum jelly and show how see it stopped bleeding and it helps it heal better and then he would hand out free samples yeah, but you can't really show that it helps it heal faster on stage that seems a little short-sighted yeah i think that the only impressive thing was it it stopped blood flow well so um, would a sock <laughs> that's true too and a sock is uh far less greasy nah. in some cases nah. That was a winning combination, him going up on stage and burning his arm with a cigar or something and then putting... And then that's how petroleum jelly became an everyday um, article in in our houses. Did you know that smoke detectors go back... When when do you think the first smoke detector was invented? Um, The 1940s. The late 1800s. No. But the key moment of its development came when a Swiss physicist whose name was Walter Jaeger was trying to develop a poison gas detector, and he was not having any luck at all. It was, so he came up with the poison gas Jägermeister? <laughs> I'll have to double check on that, but uh, for the purposes of this story, I'm just going to say yes. <laughs> um, so he's trying to develop this device that would detect poisonous gas. Okay. Failure after failure after failure. And after one particular failed experiment, he was frustrated. He sat back in his chair and he lit up a cigarette or a cigar, and his poisonous gas detector went off. And so he accidentally discovered an effective smoke detector. Oh, wow. But it wasn't for several decades until technology continued to develop that it would turn into something that we would recognize today. But the very first smoke detector, or the earliest ancestor Mm -hmm. of uh, smoke detector, Dates back to 1880. I love that whole accidental discovery of inventions kind of thing. Kleenex, where'd that come from? I think probably it had something to do with gas masks. Yes, it did. That's only because you you happened to mention it earlier today. Oh, okay. Well, that's not fair. Kleenex, which is again a brand name and has become the word to describe a generic form of uh, facial tissue. Which, by the way, we had talked about before. My friend Keegan says that companies are actually very reluctant for their brand name to become ubiquitous with uh, that product because it makes it harder for them to protect their brand. Yeah, absolutely. I can see where that's a real marketing disaster for them. Great for Kimberly Clark. They had developed a type of uh, fabric or material called cellucotton. 
and they developed it for gas mask filters uh, for the military during World War One. Okay. During the development of this, they discovered that the gas mask filters had an amazing ability to absorb snot. Anything. The first thing they thought was, hey, we can make this into a uh, feminine hygiene product. So gas mask filters became Kotex. Oh, okay. And then they took this substance and they made, they modified it into a softer and thinner version of it. So it could absorb Lysol? <laughs> well, it could, I guess, technically. The thought was it would be a great product for the theater to remove cold cream and makeup from one's face. <gasps> Smart. That was the initial intended purpose, but since it came from Kotex, they kept the X part of the name, and since it was intended to clean off your face, Clean Kleenex, X. that's where that came from. Oh. For five years, Kleenex was just for removing makeup. That seems like such a weird, specific product. It's a very narrow niche. Yeah. But according to the Kimberly Clark website, the head of research for Kimberly Clark suffered from allergies and he didn't have a handkerchief. So he had a fistful of these Kleenex and mm. he grabbed them and wiped his nose with it. Then he realized we have a much broader use for this product than just cleaning cold cream off of one's face. Right. And uh, soon after that, they, they developed the and patented the uh, pop-up box, the tissue at a time dispensing system. I love that. And when you combine all of those things, it's become the iconic everyday product we know today as Kleenex. I love it. The development of the artificial sweetener saccharin has a very strange history. It goes all the way back to the late 1800s as well, much like Kleenex did. I had no idea. There was a chemist. His name was Constantine Falberg. Uh, he was working in a chemistry lab at John Hopkins University. <laughs> that is an excellent name. Let's say it together. Constantine Falberg. He was experimenting with several different chemicals. And soon it was lunchtime. And as any good chemist knows, when it's time to eat, you should never wash your hands. So, <laughs> so he had this chemical he was experimenting with. It was all over his fingers. And he absentmindedly picked up a piece of bread and he ate it. And it was so sweet that he thought he had mistakenly picked up a piece of cake. Okay. And then he wiped his mouth with the napkin and noticed that the napkin tasted awfully sweet as well. So he had a little wine and he took a drink of the wine and it, he said it tasted as sweet as syrup. He then saw the chemical residue still on his hands. Well, it took him that many yep. steps yep. to realize that he needed to wash his GD hands. Yep. And then he decided the smart thing to do was to lick the chemical off his fingers. <laughs> and the chemical he was experimenting with was a substance called benzoic sulfamide. And that became known as saccharin. Now, do we know what he was using it for in his experimentation? No, I, I don't know that exactly. I think they were oh. just working with different chemicals to see if they had any practical purposes. Okay, well, well done. Saccharin has been a controversial substance since it was introduced to the market in the early 20th century. Okay. Uh, there were tests in the 60s that uh, indicated that saccharin caused cancer in laboratory rats. Never in human beings, but, right. but because of that. In fact, they started calling for its ban as early as 1900. Wow. The, now, interestingly, there have been studies that show that human bodies are different from rats. Oh, really? Huh. I didn't see that. So, so they're trying to even ban it as early as 1900. Mm -hmm. However, one of the biggest fans of the day of saccharin uh, in those days was Teddy Roosevelt. 
He was quoted as saying, anybody who says saccharin is injurious to health is an idiot. He was never one to mince words. But he wasn't like a super health guy, though. But he had that image because he was like this big barrel-chested guy that went out and wrestled bears and killed them with his teeth or scissors. And that's healthy. Whatever was handiest. (laughs) And finally, barcodes. Barcodes can trace their history back to the Boy Scouts. I'll explain. Yeah. As a young child, N. Joseph Woodland was a member of the Boy Scouts. And during his time with the Boy Scouts, he learned Morse code. Many years later, he was trying to think of a way to efficiently imprint data, or data, if you will, onto products for tracking and organizational purposes. And he thought back to his scouting experience and his knowledge of Morse code. So he was, he was sitting on a beach and he was pondering how he could visually render a version of the Morse code, simple but limitless method of communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, in an interview with Smithsonian Magazine, he said, the idea came when I'm sitting, I was sitting on a beach. Quote, I poked my fingers into the sand and for whatever reason, I don't know, I, I pulled my hand toward me and drew four lines. And I said, golly, now I have four lines. And they could be wider, they could be narrower instead of dots and dashes. It was a real eureka moment. So he worked with a friend of his named Bernard Silver, and they turned that aha moment. They got a patent for it, and they turned it into what has become the modern-day barcode system. They patented the idea and ultimately sold it with the help of an associate that worked at IBM and a supermarket executive named Alan Haberman. Barcodes became the industry standard. So how much do you think they made on that? On the barcode system. Nothing. No, they, they made they made money. Oh, I thought that was going to be the, the No, kicker. no, no. They weren't stupid. <sighs> uh, the men sold the patent for 15000 and split it two ways. So they did make some so money. Pretty close to nothing. Pretty close to nothing. <laughs> I bet they wish they could have a do-over on that one. Yeah. I actually was reading an article the other day about... Um, in the United States, the tattoos that are the most popular that tattoo artists hate doing the most, and barcodes is one of them. And the uh, artist that they interviewed was saying that <laughs> when guys come in and ask for a barcode, but they don't specify what they want the barcode for, Uh-oh. he uses a tampon barcode. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, that was uh, developed by Kimberly Clark, paper company. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah? yeah. Just jam it up in there. My source information, Smithsonian Magazine, Mental Floss, a great article by a guy named John Mayer. No, not that one, I'm guessing. And Wikipedia. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And now, that thing in the middle. In the later part of the month of May and into early June, something amazing happens in the Great Smoky Mountains. Tens of thousands of male fireflies all start blinking at the same time. But more than that, they flash in sync. They're referred to as the synchronous fireflies of the Great Smoky Mountains. It's quite a light show, and it's intended to impress the female fireflies. But it also impresses anybody that has the good fortune to see it. We got a message from Jay. Hi, guys. I'm listening to Box 458, where you talked about the original meanings of some words. And you mentioned that frizzle meant a toot. And the first thing that popped into my head was Miss Frizzle from Magic School Bus. And I got a kick to know that this whole time she was Miss Fart. (laughs) LMFAO. Love you guys. Yeah, what, what was it that fizzle or frizzle was a 1920s college slang word for a yeah, silent fart? Something like yeah. that. Yeah, my uh, friend Stephanie's mom used to call them fluffs. Uh-huh. And I always thought that was very delicate. Yeah, I like that very much. I've never fluffed. Um, okay. Spicy Jambalaya uh, writes to us, Hello, beautiful friends. I have a funny boo moment to share with you. I, I work for a metal door company, and I have the distinguished pleasure of being able to live listen to you at work. So I'm at my bench with one earbud in listening to the episode of the shallow end segment about uh, people who have things stuck in their butts. Mm. And I was taking a sip of my Coke when a coworker came by and asked me if I had a can of lube. Mm. (laughs) I started gagging and choking a little bit on my Coke and uh, even got a little up my nose. Thanks for that, by the way. I work with a very funny group of guys, so I got to explain why that was so funny to me. But it is wonderful to know that I could have ended up on the shallow end by listening to the box of oddities and then dying over the mention of a can of DW40. (laughs) Keep up the good work. Yeah, that's the kind of crap you'll hear on the shallow end. (laughs) Stories about people who have to go to the hospital with uh, foreign objects in their ass. You're welcome, by the way. Someone sent us a TikTok and it was an ER nurse who had just popped into another room to say, so I'm an ER nurse and we see some pretty weird things sometimes. Uh, But we just had someone come in and say, I was just at a football game and something flew up my butt and I think it was meth. Okay. So there's a lot going on there. Oh, there's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Out of their butt. Oh my. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. 
As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. There are really many reasons to listen to our podcast, Big Picture Science. It's kind of a challenge to summarize them all, Molly. Okay, here's a reason to listen to our show, Big Picture Science, because you love to be surprised by science news. We love to be surprised by science news. So, for instance, I learned on our own show that I had been driving around with precious metals in my truck before it was stolen. That was brought up in our show about precious metals and also rare metals, like most of the things in your catalytic converter. I was surprised to learn that we may begin naming heat waves like we do hurricanes. You know, prepare yourself for heat wave Lucifer. I don't think I can prepare myself for that. Look, we like surprising our listeners. We like surprising ourselves by reporting new developments in science and while asking the big picture questions about why they matter and how they will affect our lives today and in the future. Well, we can't affect lives in the past, right? No, I I guess that's a point. (laughs) So the podcast is called Big Picture Science and You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. We are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us. We hope you'll take a listen. So here's something interesting. That thing in the middle you just heard was actually... Oops. Pizza's here. Finish this liner by yourself. I'm a hungry curator. This is The Box of Oddities. Nellie Sullivan was a sweet old lady. According to friends and neighbors, she'd give you the clothes off her back if she could. She was a serial killer, wasn't she? No, she was not. Okay. She lived in Candler, North Carolina, in Buncombe County. Nellie was in her early 90s, and unfortunately, um, she had started to develop dementia. Sullivan had been living with her granddaughter, Angela Wamsley, and Angela's boyfriend, Mark Barnes, on Mint Lane in a trailer. And because she was having a hard time living on her own, this was a necessity. Unfortunately, Mark and Angie were not caretakers in the traditional sense of the word. They would sometimes leave for long periods of time, leaving Nellie alone without food. Her neighbors said that sometimes they would have to make sure that she had things to eat and kind of take care of her. And especially because they said she was so well-liked, they wanted to make sure that she was going to be okay. So they would bring her food. And she, in return, loved the neighborhood children and would sometimes uh, do things for them. Her neighbor, Belinda Moody, told WOLS, sometimes... She would do things for the children. She made my daughter a Halloween cape out of a black shower curtain. She was just very kind. After a couple of months of staying with Angie and Mark, though, she became very ill and had to go to a hospital. After she was released, they put her in a nursing home. But she didn't stay there for very long. They brought her back to the trailer. And then her neighbor said, we didn't see her after that. Uh Uh-oh. Was there a foul odor emitting from the trailer? Stop. Nellie Sullivan was determined to be missing in 2020. She disappeared? 
Yes. Wow. Sergeant Mark Walker with the major case unit said it became pretty apparent almost immediately that Miss Sullivan had disappeared under what can be said are suspicious circumstances. Unfortunately, they didn't know when she had disappeared, mm. which is so often the problem with disappearances. That's true. Barnes and Wamsley were taken into custody in December of 2020. Wamsley had been charged with misdemeanor animal cruelty, unlawful reconnecting of a utility, two counts of abandonment of an animal, possession of a Schedule Three controlled substance, possession of drug paraphernalia, and possession of a synthetic cannabinoid. So she was a, a true Renaissance person. Indeed, mm. yes. Barnes... Her fella was then charged with two counts of misdemeanor animal cruelty, unlawful reconnecting of a utility, two counts of abandonment of an animal, <laughs> possession of a scheduled three controlled substance, possession of drug paraphernalia, possession of synthetic cannabinoid, and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Okay, then. So they were doing great. They were, apparently, yes. Very busy. And obviously, there are some serious concerns about Nellie, her whereabouts, and her state. Of course. During the time that Mark and Angie, let's call them the Dum Dum Twins, are in prison, they are then charged with obtaining CS by fraud and forgery, trafficking in heroin, heroin, heroin or opium by possession, trafficking in heroin or opium by transport, felony conspiracy with possession, and felony conspiracy with transport. Oh my God! In December 2021, Barnes was charged with. Concealing a death. Now, Nellie Sullivan's body had not been found. All we know at this point is that she's missing, but police are so sure mm -hmm. that something terrible has happened to Nellie that they charge Barnes with concealing her death. And Wamsley was charged similarly in January of 2021. So not murder. No. Necessarily. Just concealing a death for monetary gain, maybe collecting her social security checks. That's what they're thinking. Yes. Okay. So they're doing some research behind the scenes, trying to figure out what went on to Nelly and using what they have available okay. based on Angie and Mark's situation to, to figure out, put the pieces together, if you gotcha. will. Wamsley, in jail now at this point, uh, was also charged with assault with a deadly weapon on a detention officer. How is he? In January of 2021. It seems like he's still quite a prolific criminal, even though he's locked up. Yeah. I mean, you've got to have goals. And sometimes all you have to work with is all you have to work with, sure, right? Sure. Make the best of what you've got. Right. Make lemonade, my mom used to say. So it's March 2021. Both defendants are now charged with four counts of trying to obtain a controlled substance by fraud or forgery, four counts of trafficking in heroin or opium by possession, four counts of trafficking. Oh, my God. I, this is getting very tiring. Anyway, meanwhile, people had rented and moved into the trailer where Barnes and Wham's once lived at 11 beady-eyed lane that's the name 11 beady-eyed beady lane. lane was it a trailer court uh no it was just a singular trailer okay. yeah uh, wow 
I didn't know it to be a multiple trailer situation, just just the one. Angie Tullis, captain of the Criminal Investigation Division in the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office, said since the beginning of the investigation, they sought to locate Miss Sullivan and afford her the respect she deserves and restore the dignity to the life she once lived. And it seemed like maybe they were going to be able to do that. Mark Allen Burns gave them a location. So police went to dig and they dug and they dug, but they were not finding anything. And it was very strange because they expected that if Nellie Sullivan had been buried within the last couple of years, it would be somewhat simple to find her body if it was in the region where Mark Allen Barnes said it would be. Makes sense. But they found nothing. According to Office Sergeant Mark Walker with the Major Case Unit, Mark Barnes actually sent us on a wild goose chase, which resulted in us digging for several days in a site he knew Nellie Sullivan was not located at. So this was just uh, amusing to him. I guess. Send them on a fool's errand. Yeah, it's just another way that he can fuck around. And in some way feel as though he's in control. Yeah, I think that's got a lot to do with it. It You know, when you are very sad and pathetic and you have very little going on in your life, what else are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. Just be gross and awful. Fortunately, the cops got assistance from a duck. (laughs) In the trailer where Tweedledee and Tweedledum once lived, Uh 10 miles west of Asheville, the couple who were now renting there had a spunky little pet duck who scootled under the trailer. And when the couple crawled under there to retrieve him, they discovered a container. Inside were human remains. Oh, my God. What kind of a container did they say? Because... I don't know. I picture like a like a Rubbermaid tote. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Like some sort of a uh, Tupperware thing. Yeah, but I don't but think it's really co- important to the story, size. though. Well, it would just seal in the odor. Because... You know, I just... I'm just I'm, saying have, it's not really I, the point of the story. I, I have questions, Maybe. Though. I understand. Lit, lit it's really burp, not what we need to be focusing sorry, on at this sorry. time. Okay. Okay. They contacted police who came out immediately, retrieved the remains, and determined, of course, they were likely the remains of Nellie Sullivan. Officials claimed that Wamsley and Barnes had killed Sullivan elsewhere and moved her body under the trailer. So they killed her elsewhere and then hit her body at their house? Yeah. I'm telling you, they were not valedictorian types. Yeah, it sounds like they suffer from, uh, what's the medical term? Cranial rectosis, I think, what that is. What are the symptoms of that? Shortness of breath. (laughs) (laughs) Among other things. After they concealed Nellie's body, they continued to collect Sullivan's social security and retirement benefits, very much like you had suspected. They also continued to fill her prescriptions after she was killed, and it's unclear if that was to sell those prescriptions or if they just thought they were being clever by keeping Mm -hmm. her prescriptions going. I I don't know. Walker said he admitted he was shocked by the disregard for human life. Instead of receiving the care she needed from those that were supposed to love her the most, she received the exact opposite and in the worst possible way. The body has since been identified as that of Nellie Sullivan, but the official cause of death has not yet been released. The investigation is still underway, and those idiots were scheduled to appear in court in May, but there's been no detail published regarding the case since. So 
I can only imagine that like so many other things, it's been delayed in the court system. Right, 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 right. Everything's backed up. I know my friend's divorce took like three years just because they couldn't get paperwork through. Ugh. Anyway, sorry about that That's little okay. divorce fine. tangent. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're absolutely going to keep an eye on these douchebags and cross our fingers for a sound judgment and justice to be served for Nellie Sullivan. I think that those two idiots are prime candidates for a severe dose of jailhouse justice. You know, there's like a prisoner code of ethics, sort of, mm-hmm. uh, where you don't murder children or old people. Yeah. And... If you do, and the other prisoners find out, oftentimes you end up being killed in the shower with a toilet brush. I don't think that uh, you're supposed to advocate for prisoners to harm other prisoners on right. a podcast. I didn't mean that. I'm just saying. I meant that a little. I got most of my information from lawandcrime.com, from NBC News, Daily Mail, ABC, and WYFF4.com. I did want to mention that one of the officials working on the case said that if there was some sort of award they could give to the duck, they would. <laughs> we'll definitely have to keep an eye on that story. That's uh, right. Wow. Yeah. Developing. Police as... suspect foul play. Yes, they do. <gasps> want to thank our latest patrons, Julie. Amber. Amber and Nikita. We appreciate your support, and if you would like to join the Order of Freaks, you get uh, episodes ad-free, which is a, a nice perk, and lots of other things as well. Go to theboxofoddities.com, and the information is located there. And also check out our other podcast, The Shallow End, with Schnebly and Toth. Say hi, Lindsay. Hey, guys. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True. That is, two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, Women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics sharing puzzling tales from the past, and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. 
Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms.